Last week, uh, we spent some time talking about uh, what God is doing and, <clears throat> and how we're part of that fulfillment and, and the issue with our name uh, from Four Winds. There's a passage of Scripture that I didn't go over simply because we didn't have time. I just want you to write this down on your notes somewhere. Uh, I'd like for you to become just very aware of, of this passage. It's Ezekiel 37, verse 9. And uh, you can just put them back on a table uh, for people to get, get those if, if they need those. And <clears throat> in Ezekiel 37, verse 9 is where, you remember the dry bones prophecy? The dry bones prophecy is about uh, God restoring all of, the, all of the tribes of Israel back at the end of time. It's in, this same, it's in the same book we'll deal with here in a second. Uh, but in that prophecy, uh, there's all these dry bones that are representative of, uh, if you will, the ten tribes of Israel that are gone and dead and uh, seem to be just scattered and they don't even know who they are and all that kind of stuff, which is tied to the other prophecies we talked about. But in there it says something interesting because it says, he tells him, he says, Son of man, prophesy, prophesy to the, to the breath. And then he says this specifically. Uh, he says, to say, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they might live. And I really believe that you and I are a fulfillment, are a part of the beginning of the fulfillment of that prophecy. That um, Yahovah himself is calling us out. He's whistling for us. It also says that, it, we've covered this, but it also says that at the end of time, it says the Gentiles will say, we've inherited nothing but lies from our fathers. We'll call upon God, we'll call upon His name and follow Him. And I honestly believe that that's what's happening. And I've said it before, but when God led us to name this fellowship Four Winds, I did not understand it at the time, but I do now. And so um, I just believe that's going to be a very important verse for you to be aware of and to go home and read that again. Um, and we just didn't have time last week to cover it. And I was afraid that if I really got into it, I'd preach a third sermon. And so uh, I just wanted to bring that up now before I get all wound up because I love the Word of God, don't you? Man, His Word is awesome. So I've got it here for you. We're going to be covering... Uh, Leviticus, we're starting in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> it is Shemini, which means the eighth. It's the, uh, it's the eighth day. And it starts off, once again, you realize that the naming of these portions come from the statement uh, close to the very beginning of that section. Um, and it, that's just where they get the name. So in verses 1 and 2, it says, And on the eighth day it came to be that Moshe, Moses, and Aaron, and his sons, and the elders of Israel... Uh, and he said to Aaron, take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering, a perfect one, and bring them before Yahovah. So it's on the eighth day, and I want to paint the picture for what we're about to look at, and then we're going to pray that God's really going to open this up for us, okay? What we have to remember is that <clears throat> this is inauguration day for the tabernacle. It has been approximately one year since they've left Egypt. It's been approximately nine months since they started the building of the tabernacle. We've covered that. You know, beating the gold down into threads that they could weave into some of the garments and the tapestries, the curtains. and the, it, was, it was just stunning. And I want you to think while we're reading this, what everybody had to be thinking they worked for nine months. They've seen God move in ways that's mind-boggling. And uh, they had to have all been hoping and thinking and wondering and had to have had a, a small, at least a small element of fear within them, like, what if I did something wrong? What if I didn't do it just right? Even though God had put the Spirit in them to do these things, they had worked on it themselves for nine months. Some of them could have had scars from it. Could have accidentally, you know, cut themselves, hurt themselves, you know, got a blister, whatever. They'd put time and sweat and effort in this. Uh, they had the fear of God in them. And this is a... Okay, so they, they've done all the work. Anybody here done any construction work? 
bunch of us. Um, and isn't it a great feeling when you get done and you get to look at it and go, wow, there it is. It was whatever when you started for me, it's carpentry, so it would have been just raw wood and you get through and there's either a piece of furniture or a raised panel wall or, or whatever it is and, and it's functional and you go, wow, that's, that's really cool. And, and you get that, that feeling of accomplishment, right? And a little bit of pride or whatever. This is, on the other hand, they built something that's tangible that they can see that God is going to come into the middle of it if he's pleased with it. Whoa. Right? So <clears throat> here it says that all of this is going to happen and it starts on the eighth day. After they've been doing this anointing service and all this stuff to set apart the priests and the high priests and all of that stuff's been going on, now it's the eighth day. It's the day when this thing's going to start. And this spills over into so much more stuff. So I'm excited. I hope it'll bless us tonight. Let's, let's pray and just ask Yahovah our Father to invade this place and cause His Word to come to life for us. Yahovah, we love You very much. Yeshua, our Savior, we love You. So grateful for everything that You've done for us. Lord, we pray that Your Word would come to life for us. Lord, that our hearts would be pricked, that we would uh, want to follow You more closely, that, um, Lord, we would desire to literally search out your scriptures um, because they are life and light and breath to us. Uh, they are your teachings and instructions to show us how to come before you in a right way, to show us what you do like and what you don't like, to show us the difference between what is holy and profane, what is good and not, what is clean and unclean. Uh, Lord, how to interact with each other. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that you would cause your word to literally leap off the page for us and help us learn how to love you better and bring glory and honor to your name. And we pray all this in the name of Yeshua, our Savior. Amen. All right, so it's been about a year, right? It's been about a year. It's been about nine months for them working on this. <laughs> and if you look at this first section, in, in verse 2, he says, and he says to Aaron, take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering. Does that sound familiar? You think God was trying to make a point? Anybody remember what happened just not, well, a year ago? The sin of the golden calf, the, the idol, and who made it? Aaron made it. What was it that Aaron said? Man, they gave me the gold, I throw it in the fire, and poof, out pops his calf. Literally, that's what he said. Well, he didn't go, but he did say that, you know, it did pop out. Um, you think Aaron was aware of the symbolism when Moses looks at him and says, guess what? God said, you need to take a bull calf as a sin offering. Watch this for yourself. Mm-mm-mm. I'm telling you, God was making a point. Do you think everybody else there saw the symbolism? Oh, yeah. 3,000 people died that day, you know? I mean, then they had to grind up the, altar, the, the idol and put it in the water and drink it. Whoa. You think they remembered that? It was only a year ago. That's part of the reason why they had to have been so fearful. They saw God on the mountain. They heard him, scared them so bad. They go, Moses, you talk to him for us because if we hear his voice, we're going to die. Right? So now it's inauguration day for the tabernacle where God's going to invade the tabernacle and live among them like, if you will, in the Garden of Eden. In a special place. And they're getting ready for this to happen. And the first thing that happens on this day, Aaron, you need to kill a bull calf. Whoa. We need to set things right. So then you go down to verse 3 and it says, And speak to the children of Israel and say, Take a male goat as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old, perfect ones as a burnt offering, a bull and a ram as peace offerings to slaughter before Yahovah, 
and a grain offering mixed with oil. Oh my goodness, for today Yahovah shall appear to you. Oh my goodness. They were scared enough the first time when they saw the mountain and heard the voice that sounded like, I believe, a shofar. It scared them so bad, they were like, "Mm, not again. Moses, you talk to him, not us. We're going to die if we hear that again. They had, the golden, they had the golden calf thing happen, all of that unbelievable stuff, and they thought they were worshiping Yahovah with the calf. They weren't thinking we're just going to worship. And they were saying that's a rep- we covered that, that this is a, represent- a representation of uh, a mediator between us and Yahovah, and he's the one that brought us out of Egypt. It's just that he said, uh, don't make an idol which is what they did, which was wrong. So now they're hearing, after all of that, they were the same ones that said, "Don't, we don't want to hear God again. Now they're saying, okay, we did this for nine months. Guess what? Now God's going to actually show up. Can you imagine? I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'd I'd have been scared to death. I mean... You're sitting there going, we messed up once, and it was bad. Aaron's having to kill a bull calf. I know what that's for. And now he's telling us that we're going to do our part, and when all that's done, then God's going to actually show up. Man, that would, you know, as I grew up here, man, that'll put the fear of God in you, right? Uh, and so that's what's about to happen. So after that, you have all of this, uh, this offering that happens. Aaron does all this. His sons help him. They're bringing the blood in and all, and they're putting it on the, you know, the, the altar, and, and all of those things are going on. And then what happens is, now you got to think too, what's got to be going through Aaron's mind while he's doing this? you know, like, uh, just don't want to mess this up because he's already realized God's serious, right? Um, And so he does it all, and then it turns, and in verse 22 it says, And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them. He came down from making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and Moshe, Moses, and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, And they came out and blessed the people. And look at this. And the esteem or the glory of God appeared to all the people. Oh, my goodness. And it says, and fire came out from before Yahovah and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And all the people saw and cried out and they fell on their faces. I mean, God shows up and fire comes out and consumes the offering. Does that sound familiar? Remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And what happened? And fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering to prove that he is the most high God. Now we're seeing this here before that happens. He does all these things. Aaron lifts up his hands. He blesses them. And then God shows up. It says the glory of God, the esteem of God, the esteem of Yahovah appears to all the people. Fire comes out from before him consumes the burnt offering. It says, and all the people fell and they cried out and they fell on their face. They were probably just glad that they didn't die. Right? And scared to death because this wasn't Cecil B. DeMille. This was the real deal. This wasn't smoke and mirrors. This wasn't YouTube. Seriously. We're, we're kind of desensitized. You know, we sit and see stuff on our computer and our phones and the TV. And, and we see all kinds of grandiose things. And we don't even know now what's real and what's not real. But uh, they see it firsthand and it scares them. I want to back up just for a second because I want you to see something. Because it says here that Aaron lifted up his hands and he blessed them. What was it that he probably said? He probably said the ironic blessing. If you'll turn the page, I've got some stuff for you here. If you haven't already looked ahead. 
I have this uh, Lexham uh, Hebrew English interlinear. It's in my, my digital stuff, so I put that on here for you so that you can actually see it in the Hebrew. Now, that top part there in the Hebrew, it's read from right to left, not left to right like we usually do. Um, I've got something there for you right below that <clears throat> where it says, And the Lord gave these words to the Kohanim, the priest, to bless the children of Israel, the blessing is also used to bless members of your family on special occasions. And there's a reason why I'm giving this to you. You know that I, I, we recite this every, every week. Uh, it's the prayer that God said, this is what I want you to pray over my people. You'll place my name on the people. This is how the people are blessed. Um, but I want you to have this because I want you to realize that this is something that you can practice and pray over even your own family. I'm not your high priest. I'm not a high priest. I'm just Paul. No, seriously. I'm just Paul. Okay? But if you want to start experiencing God's presence in your life, then we need to start quoting Scripture, and I can't think of a better place to quote. Um, so... <clears throat> I've got it for you here, and you would read this now, the transliterated version, which is meaning it's spelled out with English letters in a way that it would sound in Hebrew. And you would read that the way it's listed here from right to left, even though in the Hebrew it goes from, I mean, from left to right. Now, the only in Hebrew, yeah, it can get confusing. In Hebrew, it's from right to left. In English, it's from left to right. So it's just... You have a rekakah, and I, oh, and I also put God's actual name in there. I've heard, I've been listening to this forever. Um, God is amazing. I know that years and years ago, I drove my family crazy. I still drive them crazy. But uh, God put stuff in my heart that I didn't even know why. 20, 30 years ago. Just a, a hunger for God and for His Word and His people and knowing that there's something there, but I couldn't figure it out because of all of my training. And every Sunday morning, I would wake up my family to the sound of a shofar and the ironic blessing as loud as I could play it. Usually out of my uh, mischievous self, I didn't even totally understand it at the time. I knew it was a blessing. I knew it was scripture. I had no idea. I've heard this for 20 to 30 years, you know, with the word Adonai. It's not his name. And I firmly believe that he wants his name known. And when we call him Lord and Adonai and all these other things, it's like calling him Baal. Because it means the same thing. Baal means master, Lord, king. His name's in your Bible nearly 7,000 times. So I put it in here. I had to change it up because everything you find has got Adonai or Lord or whatever on it. So I put it in here for you because I feel very strongly about this. It would sound like this. Yevarekaka Yahovah v'dishmereka. Yair Yahovah panaveleka v'chuneka. Yisah Yahovah panaveleka v'yasem leka shalom. There it is in English for you. Once again, it just has that, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So this is probably what Aaron prayed over them. It says he lifted up his hands, and chances are he did put his hands like this, making the letter the sheen for El Shaddai, the Almighty One, and also for the word Shem for His name. Hashem means the name. So then the principle was when you pray this over my people, you're going to be placing my name upon them. 
They do that to this day. You've probably seen the story where Leonard Nimoy, that's where he came up, be well and prosper, live, live long and prosper, because he was Jewish and he grew up seeing that in the synagogue and they wanted to come up with something. He knew it was strange. And so literally, did y'all know that? That's where that came from. So um, because the priest, they, they would do that. The rabbis would do that. So he does that. And then all of a sudden, he and Moses go into the, taber- go into the tabernacle. And they come out and then they collectively bless everybody. That's pretty cool, right? Everything's going great. This is inauguration day. Then you get to chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. And it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his fire holder and put fire in it and put incense on it and brought strange fire before Yahovah, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from Yahovah. Does that sound familiar? It just happened. It says, and fire came out from Yahovah and consumed them, and they died before Yahovah. And Moshe said to Aaron, this is what Yahovah spoke, saying, oh my goodness. By those who come near me, let me be set apart. Or what it, in, the, in some translations it'll say, by those who come near me, I will be holy. It's a directive statement. This is not a suggestion. He's saying, when those, those that do want to come near me, I will be holy. You will not come before me on your terms. I don't care who you are. These are two of Aaron's four sons that accompanied Aaron, Moses, and the 70 elders on the mountain and had a meal with God a year prior. Why did they do this? We don't know. I could give you all this. I've read, I've studied, I've looked. Nobody really knows what it means. What kind of fire did they do and all that? And we'll, we'll get into something else here in a second. I don't, it doesn't matter, does it? We want those details. It doesn't matter. What it does matter is he says, they did something that God did not prescribe. When we come to worship before God, how dare we treat him as common? He'll, he will not have it. He's holy. He goes, let me be set apart. And he goes, and watch this. And before all the people, let me be esteemed. It's also saying, and before all the people, when they see you coming before me, guess what? I will be glorified. Folks, this is why in the book of James, it says, don't let many of you desire to be a teacher of the law. Teacher, because with that will come a greater judgment. That's why he's saying here, those who want to come near to me, guess what? I have specific regulations for this, and I will be holy among you, and I will be glorified through you by the way you come before me among all the people. And Aaron was silent. His emotions have to be running the full gamut. Scared to death because of the sin of the golden calf. Been working towards this for now nine months, knowing that a day is coming and you're going to get anointed. And guess what? You've got responsibilities before God and before all these people. You're going to be the high priest. Oh, my goodness. Don't mess this up, Aaron. He worked so hard to get it just right. And his two sons die right in front of him, killed by God. They're trying to worship Yahovah. They're trying to serve Yahovah. They just did something wrong. I'm just going to ask a question. Do you think there's any relevance to that to the church today? 
I'll leave it there because we don't have time. Uh, it says, and Aaron was silent. He just saw his two boys killed. And they're grown men by this time. But he just saw them killed. He just saw them do something. They're trying to serve God. They're trying to serve Yahovah. They just did something out of order, something wrong. They brought, it says, strange fire. And then we get to verse 8 in the, on the next page because we're going to read the Bible in, in context. You have to read it in context for it to make any sense. This is amazing. So it says, Aaron was silent. And then in verse 8 it says, And Yahovah spoke to Aaron, saying... I want you to notice something. This is the only time we have in Scripture where it says specifically that God spoke specifically directly to Aaron. It's usually him hearing from God through Moses. Here we've got it listed in Scripture where it says, and guess what? God himself decides to have a little conference conversation here with Aaron. This is moments after the boys have died. Um, Moses, you know, has these other cousins come and get him. They're dead right there. Uh, it says, grab them by their tunics, by their clothing. Don't touch the bodies. Get them out of here. Get them outside the camp. Then God speaks directly to Aaron, and he says, do not drink wine or strong drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. A law forever throughout your generations. So as to make a distinction between the set apart and the profane or common. And between the unclean and the clean. Look at this. And to teach the children of Israel, all the laws which Yahovah has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. There are many, and a lot of the sages speculate that what they think, what happened was because of God saying this to Aaron right after this, that maybe the boys were drunk. Maybe, we don't know. But it is listed right here. Uh, and then I want to add this too, because this is where people take passages, they cherry pick passages, and they just run with it, and they want to run amok with it. And they'll say, you see, alcohol's of the devil. Anybody that's a believer in Jesus, you don't need to be drinking alcohol. Anybody that's in the church, you don't need to be drinking any alcohol that's of the devil. You know, it's all wrong, you know, and you're sinning. Oh, man. Well, he says that this was for them... When, he says when, he doesn't say ever, he says when you're coming in here. Why? Well, you know what? You need to have your wits about you. Why? Because when you're coming before a holy God, he will be set apart as holy. He's not playing games and everybody's watching. Sorry, I get a little sarcastic and upset, but... You just need to read the Scriptures, right? Read it for what it says. It says what it says. It means what it says, and it, it's what it is. But I want you to see something else here, why he's telling this to Aaron, and he's explaining something that's critically important. Is it hot in here to you? Is this a little warm in here? Somebody, nobody, might, you want someone to check that for us? Um, he's saying that here's your job, Aaron, you and your sons and the priests. Your job is to teach the people of Israel the difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy, or the holy and the set-apart, I'm sorry, the set-apart and that that's common or not set-apart, and to teach them everything that God is telling Moses to tell the people. Aaron, here's what you're not getting. What you're not connect, you're not connecting a dot here. Your job isn't just to come and kill these animals. That's how you get in here. This whole process and what you're supposed to be doing is to be a teacher and lead the people and lead them by example. This do as I say and not as I do stuff, 
not going to cut it. And when you're serving Almighty God, it could cost you your life. That's why he says, don't say that you're my child and then not live like it. It's an abomination to him. So then you get to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 16. And it says, And Moshe diligently looked for the goat of the sin offering and saw it was burned up. And he was wroth. Don't you like the way some of these, they, he was wroth with them. He was upset. He was mad. In Texan slang, he was ticked off. He was bent out of shape at Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left. They took the, uh, the other two boys' place, and he chews them out. Moses just literally chews them out. And he goes, why have you not eaten the sin offering in the set-apart place, since it is most set-apart, and Elohim has given it to you to bear the crookedness of the congregation to make atonement for them before Yahovah. He's saying, look, this is what's supposed to have happened. You guys, we offer this sacrifice. It's to make atonement for the people. Watch this. And you guys are supposed to eat this. I.e., remember the meal with God on the mountain, and it's going to ratify what's happened. You're going to take it in. And it's going to ratify what has happened, and you didn't do it. Why? So you get to verse 19, and it says, And Aaron said to Moshe, See, today they have brought their sin offering and their burnt offering before Yahovah, and matters like these have come to me. He's saying, can I paraphrase? Dude, Moses, are you serious? Have you not seen what's happened to me? But he makes a comment here that we need to pay attention to. He goes, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been right in the eyes of Yahovah? And when Moshe heard that, it was good in his eyes. Here's what he's saying, that in the Torah, I'm not going to get into it right now, but if you were, under, if you were mourning the death of someone uh, you, you were supposed to eat the offering or not eat the offering, and it depended on if you were the high priest or not and all this kind of stuff. And so most, I mean, Aaron, his emotions are, they've exploded. He's a wreck. Uh, instead of eating it, the offering got burnt up. Moses is chewing them out because you got to imagine Moses, is, his emotions are probably shot too. He's like, you know, stress level on a, you know, 20.0 on this Richter scale, just like, you know, you can't, you can't gauge this. And uh, he, so he's chewing them out. And then Aaron goes, if I ate it, would God really accept it? Or is he going to kill me too? Have you, have you, have you seen what I've already gone through already? Are you serious? And then here it says that Moses heard him and he goes, you know, I guess that's okay. Now, here's something really fascinating. It is this passage, others like it, but this is one that's very, very prominent in the rabbis saying the legitimacy of the oral Torah. Because here Moses and Aaron are debating and Moses is the one that says, yeah, I guess it's okay. I'll just let that sit there for a little bit. Uh, I don't know that, I don't, I'm not making a big deal out of that. Uh, I just think that, yeah, there's a lot of things that happen that's just simply not written down. I don't think we need to get all caught up in that. Amen? Before we go on, I want you to notice something because I highlighted it for you back up in verse 16. It says, and Moses, or Moshe, diligently looked. Uh, in the Torah, <clears throat> in the Hebrew written Torah, it is right here where there's a... Um, a notation made in the text itself, and they say that this is the direct middle, the absolute middle of the Torah. And when it says he diligently looked, it really says that he searched, he searched. Uh, and they teach that what that means is that we should diligently search out the Word of God to come before Him rightly, to understand what He's saying, to draw near to Him. 
So the question really for us is, are we really diligently searching and searching for ourselves? Or are we comfortable with being spoon-fed? My goal is to hope I can stir enough in you and light a spark or whatever where you'll get hungry for yourself and search it out for yourself. Because until it becomes your truth, it's not going to mean a whole lot. Until, it's, until God pricks your heart with it, it's just going to be some good message you heard. And then come Monday morning, you don't have a clue what that was. But when God pricks your heart about it, and it touches your emotions about it, it'll change your life. It'll change your perspective on God and your walk with Him. It'll change your understanding of the Word of God. It'll change your whole walk. Until then, it's just a good message. Hopefully a seed gets planted. But um, I want you to get hungry enough to get into it for yourself and get the right tools so that you can do it and stay in your lane. Amen? So um, the rest of that section there in chapter 10 and getting into Leviticus up to verse 44 there is all these laws about what we should and shouldn't eat. You know, all these different kind of animals and all that kind of stuff and what we, what we simply should and should not eat. You get to verse um, 44, and I want you to understand that this is why God said, this is what I want you to eat, this is what you're not supposed to eat. You can focus on the health part of it if you want. I think that's one aspect of it. But it's so much deeper than that. I mean, if you want to eat a pig, go ahead and eat him. But you're probably going to go home early. He's not food. You know, rats aren't food. Exactly. But see, we don't, we don't go, ooh, when I say pig, right? But if you say rat, some people eat squirrel. Well, he's a tree rat with a fuzzy tail. He's just a big rat with a fuzzy tail. That's all he is. Okay? Um, those things are not, they're not meant for food. But I want, what I want you to see, because... Once again, God tells us in His Word the why. If we'll just keep reading. Don't you love it when I say that? <laughs> if we'll just read what He says. I said today when I came, I wasn't going to do that. I'm not going to be sarcastic. It just leaks out. I'm sorry. Verse 44 says, For I am Yahovah, your Elohim, and watch this, and you shall set yourselves apart. Oh, I thought God was the one that does all that sanctifying. He says, look, this is how I want you to live your life. And when you live your life this way, you're, you become set apart, which means holy. It doesn't mean you become God. Holy means set apart, special, dedicated. You following that? So he says, this is why I'm telling you to eat this way. You shall set yourselves apart and you shall be Set apart, for I am set apart. And watch this. And do not, what? Defile yourselves with any creepy creature that creeps on the earth. Why? For I am Yahovah who is bringing you up out of the land of Mitzrayim, Egypt, to be your Elohim. And you shall be set apart, for I am set apart. As you've read in the New Testament, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is where it comes from. So he's saying, this is why I want you to eat unlike other people. Had a chance to play golf yesterday with Steve. Really enjoyed that, you know. And um, we had a great time talking. And at the, after the first nine, let's go in and get something to eat. So I walk in, smelled like breakfast. You know, yeah. And I went, ugh. And we're trying this other diet, trying to not eat all these carbs and everything else. I'm like, oh, God. There's muffins and crackers and stuff and pig everywhere. There's just pig. Every He's there. He is everywhere. He's in the air, you know. And I walked in and I said, can I get a, like a, a breakfast burrito kind of thing without any pork in it? You know, can you? She goes, like just an egg and cheese burrito? And I went, yeah. She goes, sure. I was like, sweet. And she goes, okay. So then Steve comes in and he's ordering the same thing. This lady behind me, she said something. I said, well, I just don't want any pork in it. And she goes, oh, you don't eat meat? And I went, well, no, I just don't eat pig. 
And she just got this really interesting look on her face. Oh, okay, you know, and kind of, <laughs> I'm getting out of here. And, and went on out. And so Steve and I started talking about that. So it uh, didn't make a big deal. We were just talking about it. And we walked out. And I said, now, see, Steve, I want you to show you something. When God calls us to walk according to his ways, it's not easy. It's difficult. Uh, I said, but because we did, there are now two ladies that are going to have to think about what just happened. One lady thought, well, I just don't eat meat. I don't, I you let that go. Because uh, I'm eating eggs, so I'm like, I'm like, I don't, oh, you don't eat meat? And I'm like, no, I just don't eat pork. Oh, woo you know. But then she leaves, and while she leaves, Steve and I are talking about biblical ramifications and health ramifications and all that kind of stuff. And while the girl that's making it is listening. And I said, so you see, when we live set apart, it's not easy, but it's a statement. And it's a statement of our allegiance to him. That's all. But it brings him to light. And when we do things just like the world does it, then everything's just what? Common, or the word is profane. So, now I want to get into, uh, because he said, this is why you're supposed to do that. You're to set yourself apart. You're to work at it. It's not easy. You'll have to work at it. But you're to be holy because he is holy because we are representing him. Now, the Hoftor reading gets into 2 Samuel. And I want you to see this and see how this is all connected. And then I've got another passage of Scripture that I've added to this that I think is really cool. <clears throat> now, in 2 Samuel 6, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now, uh, David, or Dawid, uh, again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose up and went with all the people who were with him from ba- Baali. Yeah. Right? You saw it, didn't you? Baal, right? Um, Baal-e-Yehuda, Judah, okay? Uh, to bring up from there the Ark of Elohim that is called by the name, the name, Yahovah of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim or the cherubim. And they placed the Ark of Elohim on a new wagon and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Yuza and Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were leading the new wagon. You need to see that. Read it in context, right? Okay. You know where this story's going if you've read your Bible before, but here's what I want you to understand. The ark had been captured years before. It's brought back. <clears throat> in the meantime, David has now captured Jerusalem, and he wants Jerusalem to become the political and religious capital of Israel. King David. For all those that want to argue. Um, And it's been at the house of Abinadab for a long time. And so he's been sort of the custodian of the ark while it's been there. And God's been blessing him. His sons, see, you have to remember now, it's his sons that go with him to go before the ark and behind, and behind the ark when they put it on a cart. Right? The other thing that we're forgetting, this is when it's coming to Jerusalem. Originally, it had been in Shiloh, or they would say it Shiloh. You know how long? 450 years. Twice as long as we've been a country. Uh oh. There's been a long time. A lot has transpired. Now it's being brought into Jerusalem, and David has pitched a tent for it there in Jerusalem because he wants to bring it in. And the two sons of Abinadab that had been the, if you will, the caretaker of this incredibly important artifact, right? Incredibly important piece of furniture belonging to God. And they're going with him. You think they love God? Yeah, they do. Turn the page. Um, hope I just turned the right one. Yeah. So now we've got uh, 
2 Samuel 6, verses 5 through 7. It says, And David and all the house of Israel, they were dancing before God. Everybody, I mean, this is a party. They're all dancing before God. You know, I'm telling you, us Baptists, those of you that are Baptists like me, we, we're going to have a lot of learning to do. Man, I tell you, we got we to gotta relax, you know, and learn how to shout hallelujah before our God. Amen? Because he's awesome. And so they're excited. And it says in David and Israel, the, all of them, they're all dancing before God with all kinds of instruments of firewood, lyres, harps, tambourines, with sistrums and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, of Uzzah reached out toward the ark of Elohim and took hold of it. Why? Because the oxen stumbled. It's like it was going to fall off. You think he's just going to go, ah, just go ahead and let it fall. And he reaches up and grabs it, right? Mm. Verse 7, it says, And the wrath of Yehovah burned against Uzzah, and Elohim smote him there for the fault. Huh. Some will say because of the error. And he died before the ark of Elohim. They're having a party. Once again, you just imagine, it's almost like the inauguration day of the tabernacle again. They're trying to worship God. It's been over there 450 years, longer. Start adding everything up. Uh, they didn't get all the details right. Um, and God is not happy. You have to remember, where was it? It had been in their house. Their house had been blessed because of the ark and God's presence there with them in their in your home. It was in your house. It's kind of hard to wrap your brain around that the ark of the covenant was in their house, had been there for a long time, and they'd been blessed for it. I'm telling you, God doesn't care who you are. They had just received months of blessings from God just because the ark was in their house, and they were making sure nothing happened to it. They make the mistake of putting it on a cart instead of carrying it, the oxen stumbles, which tells me it wasn't just a bump. It stumbled, which tells me it was going to fall. Yuza reaches up and grabs it, and God kills him. And we think today that we can come to God any way we want to. That it's okay to bring any kind of garbage into his house and think that he thinks it's okay. Yeah, I went there. Can't help it, it's right there in Scripture. To understand why I gave you the verse, it's a reference there. Back in Exodus, they should have known this, but they didn't. Why? Why would they not, why would they not know it? They weren't being taught. It's just that simple. It really is that simple. You only know what you know. And if you don't know, you don't know. But if you don't know, watch this. No excuse. Sorry. God doesn't go, well, you know what? He didn't know it. That's okay. He's holy. <laughs> he, he's not our buddy. He's our God. Um, so then after that, well, there's in Exodus 25, verse 14, it says, and you shall put poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to lift up the ark by them. You're to lift up and they were to carry the ark. So then you jump forward into verse 11 and it says, and the ark of Yehovah remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months and Yehovah blessed Obed-Edom and all his house. 
And it was reported to King or Sovereign David saying, Yahovah's blessed the house of Obed-Edom. There it is again. Now it's in another house, and because it's in the house, the people are getting blessed. That part's cool. But if you're going to mess with it, you mess with it according to my rules. Or don't mess with it. You're going to come close to me, you come close to me, that's fine, but you come close to me according to my rules, not your rules. You don't do it your way, even if you're trying to serve me. You do it my way. So it says, um, the, um, Yehovah has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he has because of the ark of Elohim. David then went and brought up the ark of Elohim from the house of Obed-Edom uh, to the city of David with rejoicing. Here it is again. Now he's rejoicing. And watch this. And it came to be when those bearing the ark of Yehovah had gone six steps that he slaughtered bulls and fatted sheep. They marched six steps, had a sacrifice. Six steps, had a sacrifice. Six steps, had a sacrifice. Six steps, had a What was going on? I'm telling you, the whole city of David was about to have a barbecue. Literally. This is the scene where it says in verse 14, and David danced before Yahovah with all his might. And David was wearing this linen and it's said here like a shoulder garment. He was dancing in his underwear. Saul's daughter, Micah, that was his wife, rebukes him for it. Oh, isn't David all high and mighty dancing out there before everybody in all of his underwear? And David goes, you know what, woman? I was dancing before my God. And the scripture goes on and says, and she was barren the rest of her life. David was excited, lost all of his inhibitions, not because of alcohol, but because of his love of his God. Folks, that's how we should be. We should be intoxicated with God instead of being intoxicated with ourselves. When you jump to Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have... Now watch this. All of this has been talk about what? Coming before God and getting too close to God and, and doing it in the wrong way. And when we do it in the wrong way, what? People died for it. Why? To prove a point. It didn't mean that God sent them to hell. Are we clear on that? It meant physically they died because they did it wrong. Why? To make sure everybody understood that God is holy and He will be glorified even by those that come near so that we can all learn that God is God. He is the Most High God. His name is Yahovah and there's none else like Him. So that's what this, these passages have been dealing with. And when you get into Hebrews, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have what? confidence. Isn't that good news? We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, look at this, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Can I get a hallelujah from somebody? Man, that is some good news. He's saying, look, we can come before God without fear that he's going to zap us because Jesus paved the way and it's perfect. That's good news, right? And he says, how with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Man, that's some good news, right? Because Anybody here make an honest mistake? Anybody here make a stupid mistake? More hands went up with me. Uh, we don't have to worry about our dumb mistakes, our silly mistakes, our forgetful mistakes, our stupid mistakes to get us kicked out of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Because why? Not because we're so faithful, but because He's faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Folks, that's why we're supposed to be a community. You never see holiness in Scripture in an individual. It's always described in the community. God wants a called out people. He does it with persons, 
but he's looking for, if you will, his own tribe. We're supposed to be stirring one another's up towards good works and love, love for each other and love for God Almighty. That's what we're supposed to be encouraging each other to do. Can I ask you, how often do you see that happening? Seriously. Where we're actually encouraging and trying to stir each other up to love God and love each other more? We're not supposed to be beating each other up and putting each other down. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. And it says, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing close. Do you see the day drawing close? Man, after what happened last night, we need to be in prayer for our country. We need to be in prayer for Jerusalem. We need to be in prayer for the people in Israel. Folks, I'm telling you, it will not slow down. What you're seeing will simply get more and more intense as the day draws closer. And we're getting close. But I want you to see something once again in Ezekiel. You see, God doesn't put anything in there by accident. In Ezekiel 43, verse 27, it says, and now this is this passage here, you need to go home and read it. This passage is talking about the, the temple that'll be built during, watch this, the millennial kingdom. You following, you following with me on that? When Yeshua comes back, Satan's been put in jail. Yeshua's reigning and ruling from Jerusalem for a thousand years. There's a tabernacle built. And watch this. And he goes, and when these days are completed, it shall be when? You got it right there in front of you. On when? On the eighth day. Imagine that. That on the eighth day and thereafter that the priest shall make your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar. Oh my goodness. And I shall accept you, declares Yahovah our King. You see, this eighth day, it's the start of the, the whole new week after the Sabbath. And everything is now new. And so everything's been done. All the, all the anointing and everything on the priest and the high priest, all that had been done. Okay, now's the time. It's the start of a new thing. The sacrifices are made. The priest is going to do his job. But all of that was a shadow of what Yeshua was going to do. And he did it all perfectly. Then he comes back to reign on the earth and the sacrifices have to happen again. Why? Because there's living human beings on the earth required to come before God in a sacred space. And the, the space cannot become tainted with sin. So the sacrifices will go on again. And he goes, these priests will do this and they're going to offer these sacrifices. And starting on the eighth day, when you come before me, I will accept you. Isn't that good news? You see, that's what we're looking forward to. Hallelujah. And we can experience it now going directly to God because of what Yeshua's already done for us. And we don't have to worry about the sacrifices. Why? Because this is now the temple, right? And we're being built up into a temple. But when Yeshua comes back physically, there's going to be another physical temple. And there will be more sacrifices. But when that happens, look, folks, we're going to be right there with him. And he's going to say, when you come before me, I'm going to accept you. Man, folks, that's some good news. That's some great news. When that day happens, listen to me, you and I will not have to come before God in fear and trembling like Aaron and his other sons and King David and Uzzah and his brother and Abinadab and all of those that were like, what if we get it wrong? What if we get it wrong? He's going to say, guess what? You're not going to get it wrong. Another message. <laughs> part of that is because he says he's going to make this new covenant that we're a part of. When he joins the tribes and he goes, and this is how the covenant is different. Not in what it is, but where it is. So he said, so this time when I redo it, I'm going to write my law on your heart and in your mind. Therefore, you're going to know what to do. And you're going to want to do it because you love him. And you're not going to want to do it out of fear. You're going to want to do it 
to praise him and declare to all those watchers and all those demons and devils and everybody else, listen up. Yahovah is God. He said he would do it and he did it. He said, I'm going to show you that I'm God in this. I'm going to declare to you the very end from the very beginning and you cannot change what I say. And you can't stop me from doing what I said I was going to do. Because guess what? Those of you that try, I'm literally going to put it in your heart to do what I want you to do. That might upset somebody's theological apple cart. But that's exactly what it says in Revelation. Sorry. That's what it says. He says he's going to put it into the beast and the the people to to slaughter the woman. He says, I'm going to tell tell them to do it. We just studied that. He says, I'll put kings in place. If you're worried about world events, folks, you need to get a biblical worldview. You need to sleep tonight like a baby. God knows everything that's going to happen. He knows everything that is happening and why. It's going to be okay. But we do need to pray for our president. Because the enemy hates him. Hates him. The one world government people hate him. So we need to be praying for him. But listen up, and then we're going to close. We seriously need to be praying for Israel. You need to hear me on this. You need to be praying for Israel, and we need to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Now I'm going to tell you why. Because it's coming. And there's going to be a slaughter. But if you and I will start praying for them now, listen to me. Think of it as, once again, practice. Okay? The feasts are our dress rehearsals. Right? So we're told that we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If you and I will do that, you're going to be teaching your own heart to care for the things that God cares about. And watch this. He says that when it happens, there's going to be a judgment that's going to come. But the people, some of the people that he's going to be protecting are going to be those who are burdened over what is happening there. How are you going to have a burden for it if you don't understand it and you hadn't been praying for it and you haven't been quickening your own heart to care about it? How are you even going to know? How are you going to know that you should even be upset about it? Watch this. If you haven't been taught, you won't know. But it takes some practice. I would ask us to raise our hands, but it would be too embarrassing for some of us, myself included, how many times we've actually prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. It's a statistical fact that we Christians don't pray or read our Bibles. Almost at all. Biblically illiterate. That's why bozos can say anything and people just believe it. Clowns. And just believe it. When it's not what the Bible actually says. It's ridiculous. Not being taught. Well... I'm doing my best to try to help us understand what the scriptures say. Watch this so we can practice so that when it comes time, we're ready. Because if we don't practice, you're not ready. When it's flooding, that's not the time to fix your roof. It's just that, really, right? When the flood is coming down, that's not the time to climb up on the roof and fix it. That's the time you get out the bucket and hope for the best, right? So we got to be prepared. Anyhow, my prayer is that God really would bless you. Let's, let's pray together, okay? We'll close our time. Yahweh, we love you very much. Thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you how that you just, well, you're just incredible. Uh, you love us so much. Uh, you've given us your word to study. You've given it to us to be our life. Uh, literally a light unto our path to guide us. It is truth. 
It is your teachings and instructions. It's everything to us. And God, Lord, I pray that you would cause it to just literally leap off the page for us and uh, put a burn in our heart for you and for your word. Heavenly Father, help us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God, I, I do. I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around them. Lord, I'm praying that your whistle will be heard. God, that people would hear your voice and they would return to you and they would stop. We would all stop these religious games and bickering over things that literally mattered nothing. Uh, and that, Lord, we would rally around each other and around your name and glorify you. And so, Lord, we just pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, Lord, that place where you said you would cause your name to be remembered. Through all the stuff that's coming, your name will be remembered and glorified forever how you made everything right, right there. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here in our midst that's just struggling with their faith and walk with you, I pray that would change today and they would cry out to you and find you as their Savior, God, and King. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone that's just even struggling with their relationship in any way, form, or fashion, I pray, Lord, that would change and they would uh, cry out to you. Your word says that if we would confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that that would happen. And I pray, Lord, that you would unite our hearts in such a way that we would glorify you and encourage one another. And we pray all this in your mighty name. Amen.